Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy to understand way. My name is Shervin and I'm your host. Let's get started. In our previous episode, we spoke about what therapy is and how you might get started with therapy. One of the most common themes that comes with any type of hardship is resilience, or the ability to cope and heal after a difficult situation. A lot of this is also learned in therapy with different coping mechanisms and strategies. Resilience is defined as the ability to withstand adversity and bounce back and grow despite the challenges. Dr. Ken Ginsberg developed the seven C's of resilience, which include learning competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control, all of which will be discussed throughout today's episode. And all of these aspects play a role in how we learn and grow from a challenging situation. Just like how mental health is a muscle, I also believe that resilience is a muscle because it's something we actively work on and it contributes to our emotional intelligence. To dig deeper into the topic of resilience, we're joined by Enoch, who is the CEO and co-founder of Rise Above Finance. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Shervan. I'm so excited for this conversation we're having. And Enoch, can you share a bit about your background so our listeners can get to know you a bit better? Yeah, for sure. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Enoch. Um, I'm here based in Vancouver, BC, and uh, I run a finance company here for the past few years. Um, but funny story, I didn't always start out in finance. I actually started out as a jazz pianist, um, trying to make my, my way into the music world. But then with Asian parents, I ended up in <laughs> finance school. And then it just kicked off a whole whirlwind of career changes where I worked in corporate, I worked in nonprofit, ended up working in tech, uh, startup consulting, and then ended up finding my calling back into finance where I'm able to integrate my faith in my work and just been doing it ever since. Thanks for sharing that. It's great that you mentioned the Asian parent piece because it has been a theme in the past episodes where, you know, our parents, they don't want us to go on Mm -hmm. non-traditional career paths. So are you still doing music on the side or in your free time? Yeah, music's always part of me. Um, I used to tour in a few bands. So I, at one point in time, I was uh, touring in a Japanese heavy metal rock band. Um, and then right after that, I just started joining our church worship team. So I've kind of <laughs> been around the music scene a little bit. So I still play a few things here and there. A little bit of everything. And <laughs> I know bit. I met you, I think it was a few years back through mutual friends. Mm-hmm. But what stands out to me is just your courage to share about the challenges you and your family have gone through. I know you use social media as a platform to let people know that there are these challenges and hardships that you and your family have gone through and what you've done to move past it or to cope with it. And I just see us it as such a great sign of strength because it's so inspiring as someone who I don't know you that well, but to read about it, it gives another perspective and insight on what people might be experiencing. Can you share a bit about your family situation with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for those kind words. Um, yeah, a few years ago or many years ago, my younger brother was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. Uh, so he was 17 when it happened. He was diagnosed with skin cancer. 
um, which was quickly removed, but not too long after when he was 18, when he was in grade 12, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And around that time, I was in the middle of studying for my university degree. And I just remember it being such a tough time where um, I got the call when I was trying to write my finals and, you know, rushing to the hospital to, to find that your brother is hooked up to tubes and the doctors are saying that it's, it's touch and go. I think that was kind of when my world kind of crashed and fell apart. I ended up, yeah, failing a couple of semesters, dropped out of school. And I just remember just sitting there just feeling so helpless and just wondering like, God, like, you know, why us? Like, why is this happening? And will Luke ever recover? And then I remember one moment where after one of the surgeries, um, I think the surgeon had done something wrong and there was some internal bleeding and Luke ended up having a seizure and a stroke. And the doctor said that, hey, if he doesn't recover within a week, that's it. And I just remember that that moment was, could have broken our family. Um, But I think for us having faith was such a huge part in bringing us together. And miraculously, uh, my brother Luke, um, he woke up after a week, he recovered at 85%, and the doctors were like, this, this is such a miracle. And you know, ever since, it's been amazing just watching him recover and to go through that. And you know, I would have said that that was where the story would end with his recovery, but actually he was recently diagnosed with cancer again, just a few months ago, just the week before Christmas. And so he's currently now going through his third cancer, which is um, thyroid cancer, and it ha- has now progressed into stage four and it's entered the lungs. And so we're, yeah, we're currently going through the treatments. Um, he's finished the second surgery and we're waiting for his recovery so we can begin radiation treatments. So that's kind of where he's at with his cancer journey right now. Thank you so much for sharing something so personal. And man, when I hear about it, my heart just goes out for you and your family especially you know it's happening at such a young age for you your brother and I know you have a sister that's not easy to Mm -hmm. go through you talked about how that affected your school and I can imagine how that might have affected your relationships I wonder you know it's been a few years since the first diagnosis and the beginning of Luke's journey what have you done over the past few years to cope with it and to work through the situation yeah, honestly, the first few years is so rough. Um, I didn't do anything to take care of myself. Um, I think part of me was still throwing myself at all the things I loved, to be social, to be part of clubs, to do music, all these things. But there was just a part of me that just was empty and was just always frustrated, always kind of uneasy. And I just remember going through it where mental health was not something we regularly talked about, you know, and I had dealt with depression and anxiety myself going through high school. So I think I was a little bit more prepared, but what what I wasn't prepared was seeing how my family was coping with it. And honestly, I think the biggest thing that helped was, was our Christian faith, where because of that, when it came together as a family, um, we prayed together and as difficult as it was in an Asian household to talk about our feelings, we did you know, very, very awkwardly at first, but we started to share about, you know, what was going on, how we felt. Um, We started praying for each other and then we shared our stories. And I think it was a beautiful moment that also brought our family together where, you know, I I honestly believe that if it wasn't for our foundation there, we would have fallen apart as a family. Like I would have left to Toronto or to New York to to continue my ventures and stuff, but I decided to stay. 
and you know we pulled together and i think going forward from that there was you know so many things that were helpful whether it was talking to counselors and psychiatrists you know seeking that medical attention um having a great support network um you know through church through my friends um through other kind of peer groups and honestly just having a time to let go of things i think dropping out of school was great and that allowed me time to just really reflect. I mean, part of it was hard because, <laughs> you know, without something such as a normal routine, you can really fall into a slippery slope and, and, to, and be in a rabbit hole of thoughts, dark thoughts. But that moment also gave me time to, re, to enjoy the things that were important, to really refocus and ask myself, like, what's meaning, what's the purpose and what I want to do or what I need to do. And it was a moment for me to reconnect to God. So I think all of those were, yeah, some of the things that, honestly, I was blessed to be able to tap into. Um, to help put me back on the path. What I'm hearing just from listening to you talk is spirituality is such an important part of your life. And mm -hmm. it can look so different for everyone. Mm -hmm. When I talked about this in my self-care episode about spiritual self-care, I was even quite confused about, oh, what does that even mean? Does it mean you're spending time to pray for self-care? But not everyone is religious either. But mm -hmm. it actually means having something to look at as a deeper meaning in your life so for some people it could be christianity and looking towards god for others it could be another type of religion or faith but what all those have in common is there's just that deeper meaning and that extra bit that people don't you can't see but it's something they feel inside and that they believe in and i guess to kind of go on a bit of a tangent here with spirituality, some people might think, oh, how can you trust in God when such horrible things happen to you and your family? Or how do you believe in something that you can't see or there might not be evidence for? Is, are there any misconceptions about your spirituality that you might want to debunk? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the funny thing is growing up, I thought those same thoughts. Um, I grew up in a church, but I was never very connected. You know, I went to church on Sundays to my thing, but then the rest of my life, you know, I lived my own life and I never really got Christianity because I'm like, ah, just a bunch of rules, you know, and like, why do I need to believe in a lot of the stuff? But kind of going through all experience and seeing miracles. And I think for me, it was having a presence of God there. Like I truly felt that it was a tangible experience. And with a lot of the stories that we've seen over the years, like, a lot of things aren't just mere coincidences and things were just too miraculous to just be without a divine intervention. Uh, but the other part of it is also, I didn't just choose my Christian faith because of a good feeling. You know, I questioned it, you know, I said, Hey, well, why is Christianity the way? What about Hinduism? What about Islam? What about Shintoism? What about Buddhism? And so I actually took a, a lot of um, world religion courses. I studied mythology. <laughs> I went on a whole journey and I, an expository journey to really figure out like is there can there be a logical rational explanation for faith and like that's a whole nother conversation there but <laughs> i was able to find the evidence and the support i needed through it and i eventually chose christianity because it was the um the religion or the the relationship with god that really offered um grace and salvation and it was an amazing beautiful thing and then it changed my world completely 
I appreciate you sharing that because for some people, for example, yourself is such an important part of your own recovery and your own journey and what it means for you, something for you to believe in and collectively your church, your community, and even your family, it brings you together. But you also highlight a lot of great points about how just talking to each other, acknowledging how everyone feels and having friends and family who you connect with a lot. So it's not always about religion being forefront, but almost like it's in your background and it's a part of you. And for people who might be in a similar situation, or let's say they know someone who's sick or has cancer, What do you think that they can do to support their friends? I know it can be really awkward because you don't want to say, oh, it's going to be okay. Or like, um, you don't want to burden them or overwhelm them. So if um, you were your friend, what would you have wished your friend did for you to help you with coping through the situation that Luke's facing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think one thing to just remember too, is that it's case by case and situational as in people respond differently. But I think at the forefront, just intentional, to be intentional. Um, you know, I think a lot of those times, your mere presence or just being able to know that someone cares and is thinking of you or praying for you, that speaks volumes. Oftentimes, it's not about, you know, what they can do, but as in to know that there's people you can turn to. So, for example, um, great ways to say would be like, hey, I'm here if you like to talk. I'm here to listen. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you, sending thoughts. You know, those are kind of the more generic um, openers. And I think sometimes what could be helpful is if you, instead of asking, how can I help you? Because that could be a good lead-in. But for some people, they just don't know. I don't know how you can help me. Um, It's to think about specifically, for example, um, there was some members of our church that cooked for us and came over. And they took turns rotating Um, when we were always at the hospital and so that was really helpful and that meant a lot where we knew that hey we can come home and there's going to be warm food healthy food and we didn't have to order takeout again Um, you know there's moments where people ask to say like hey do you need help picking up anything from a grocery store Um, hey do you need you know somebody to help you take care of this or hey I can help you with this do you need help with that and so sometimes having those specific requests or asks were really great and you know sometimes you know, people offered monetary gifts, which were nice, or, you know, they would offer different type of kind of gestures of goodwill. And I think no matter where it's from, like we, we just received it with open hearts and hands going like, hey, you know, I think it doesn't matter what you're giving, but we just so appreciate people reaching out. And I think sometimes it's the right timing where, you know, there's some friends where I'm like, you know, like, I don't, I don't need to talk, I'm fine. And then three months later, I'm like, I'm having a really bad day. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I really do need to talk about this. Do you have like a quick 10 minutes? And then we're able to just talk and it just helps so much. Those, those, those little actions, you know, throughout the course of your lives that sometimes end up being the most impactful. And I love how you talk about being specific. I mm-hmm. have remembered many times where I'm like, oh, if you need a talk, you can come reach out. And oftentimes, not many people will reach out or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I might not reach out to people, even if people say that to me, because mm-hmm. you don't want to burden them or bother yes. them. So being specific, like, oh, if you need help with editing your paper, or if you need help with uh, cooking or something, it's more yes. specific and mm-hmm. it associates 
something back to the person. So I really yeah. like that piece of advice. Thanks for sharing that. For sure. And quickly to follow up on that one, because when people are in kind of a place of whether it's depression, anxiety, or high stress situation, a lot of times they're already, they're already kind of at their capacity. And so when you ask them, how can I help? It just burdens them to, to be able to think of things that they need help with when they're already overburdened. And so sometimes by taking on a load, you're saying, hey, I've identified a few things. Let me help you with this. And to your point about reaching out, it's, yeah, it's just letting that person say, hey, if they do have time capacity, of course, you can talk it out. But a lot of times, you know, don't be offended if they ignore you or if they ghost you. Sometimes it's just they're just overwhelmed by social media or by different messages. But I'm sure that they appreciate you. And sometimes you could even say, hey, you know, I'm free later this afternoon to talk or I'm free tomorrow. Just give me a call if you need. Even just open up those doors or even soft scheduling something or putting something on the calendar kind of helps because it gives them something they can latch onto instead of having to to suss something out when they're already kind of at at their wit's end. It does take a bit of the burden off them, I imagine, if you're more specific with it too. And yeah, those are really great tips that I hope can be helpful for others if they wanted to reach out to someone who might be in a challenging situation. And earlier, Enoch, you talked about going to psychiatrists and therapists. And this is not, I would say, a common occurrence for a lot of people, especially with an Asian background like you and myself. Can you share a bit about your story with therapy? How did you get started with it? Or how did your family react to it? Yeah, so for us, it was because we have a really great um, health system here in Canada and here in Vancouver. Um, we were assigned um, psychiatry and counselors, uh, both for my brother and also for us, for a family counselor to, to help our family. And so honestly, like our family, we didn't look too much into it. We went to a few sessions and, you know, we had a few talks. But I think it was just our family already being more open about talking about mental health. Because you're right, a lot of the cultural kind of stigmas towards mental health is it doesn't exist or let's hide it underneath the rug and to say things like, you know, you'll get over it. Let's fight through it. You know, a lot of these toxic kind of uh, vernacular and vocabulary that dismisses, you know, the reality of mental illness. And so I think one part of it is how do we destigmatize mental health? Make an everyday conversation, make it so that instead of being fearful and a sign of weakness, but it's a and intent, turn it into a sign of strength to speak out. And I think part of what helped me on that journey was to be open with it, with my friends and family and later on to the public. So um, it took me, so for example, when I dropped out of school, when I was going through the cancer stuff, nobody really knew I was going through it. Nobody knew, like, for example, even growing up that I had depression and had moments of anxiety and a few, few suicidal attempts. Nobody really realized until kind of I opened up. And so, for example, I shared that in my testimony at church. So I started to have some people that I could trust, talk to. And later on, um, I remember sharing my story um, when I was asked to make a speech uh, for the business class um, or sort of for the business program when I took some award. And I was really debating, like, what should I talk about? Because, you know, everybody's award acceptance speeches, man, I'm thankful for this. Check it out. I got all these achievements. Life's great. And then I was talking to one of the staff members going like, well, my life is not great. Like I suffered a lot and I'm still suffering through it, but I have peace and I have hope. And that's what I want to share. And so when I shared it with them, I told them, hey, you might think of me as a stellar, you know, um, a stellar student and community member, 
but let me tell you what's really going on. And I told him about my mental health, the struggle with my brother, my fears. And I remember the one moment where one of our associate deans, he walks up to me right after I made my speech and he had tears in eyes. And he told me, Enoch, my brother just passed away last month. Thank you so much for sharing that. I needed it. And not too long after that, another staff member came up and said, hey, I'm going through, you know, this family situation. You know, thanks for, for, for what you're saying. And then I had students cold reach out to me going like, hey, Enoch, like you mentioned this, can we talk? And then I just realized, man, how many people are going through something similar or just in pain and agony and are putting up that, that strong front because we don't want people to judge us or to laugh at us. And that kind of just sparked something in me to say, hey, you know, how do I share some of my experiences with others? And I was always curious about people's stories, but I wanted to now say, hey, maybe this is a place where we can make an impact collectively. You know, the more we share, the more people open up, you know, the more we can really just unpack these things and as a collective, be there for each other. And, you know, and then one thing that's another, and then, you know, I've been a, been a big fan of, you know, Brene Brown's material on vulnerability. Um, I really loved Angela Duckworth's book on grit. Yes. and about how resilience meets passion. And so that just sparked a whole kind of um, personal professional development journey where I was then able to take a few mental health courses. I checked out Sanctuary Mental Health's um, the material as well. I got coaching training certifications and that was kind of part of what propelled me back into finance where I incorporate a lot of coaching and counseling in my practice. And so it's really having that holistic perspective. And I think a lot of what I've learned and in my experiences has now I'm able to impart it to others and help teach them the skills that they can be to be more resilient. Thank you so much for sharing all that and just using your voice and your ability to talk about these things in such an open forum. Not many people are willing to share things like dropping out of school or failing a couple of semesters because we're taught that we need to only share the good things. We can't tell people we've failed. We can't tell people about all of our negative aspects. And that's something my parents instilled in me. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what happens behind the scenes. We're in front of relatives, in front of friends, always have to look like you're perfect. Always have to be on your best behavior. Don't show anything else. And that's what we grew up with but your story is so powerful and inspiring because you're right. A lot of people go through these hardships and they don't talk about it. So every time you talk about your story or someone hears about a challenging situation, it shows a lot of vulnerability and that you're being so personable and it's makes us more empowered to share about our own feelings and our own situations. That's how I felt every time I've read your Facebook posts or I see Luke's Facebook posts. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think you're any worse or you guys are weak or like, why did you do bad in school kind of thing? It's not like that. It's, oh my goodness. Thank you for normalizing that there are bad situations, that people go through rough times and that your willingness to share it is so admirable. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me. So thank you for sharing all of that today. Yeah, thank you for that, for those kind words. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I've been reflecting on the theme of resilience. Like, what does it really mean? I think a lot of people have kind of that common misconception that it means you've gotten everything under control. You know, everything's great. You're confident, you're leading the ship. 
and you can handle anything that life throws at you. But honestly, no, <laughs> life's going to throw things <laughs> at you. Like you're like, man, I'm dropping a ball on these things. Like I just can't handle it. And I think resilience, it's, it's part of, like you said, there's the seven C's, right? The different ways that you can really um, to view the things of your life, the stressors, um, to see if you have the necessary supports in there. So you have all these things that are part of your tool belt or toolkit that you can use to, to, to combat these things that are dragging you down. And honestly, it's okay to not be okay. I think it starts there, acknowledging you that you're not in a good place and you need help. Because that's often the hardest because people say, I'm going to just grind through it, you know, or I'm going to hustle through it, which is what I did for a lot of my business ventures. I just hustled through it. And then I just caused me to burn out massively and cause, you know, mental health, not breakdowns, but definitely deterioration of my mental health to the point where I'm no good to anybody, you know, how can I lead a team and put up a front if I'm suffering inside? And so being open really also helped my own team, you know, or the people in my business because now we're able to be transparent. And especially with COVID, you know, the quarantine, that's really rocked everybody. And that's <laughs> the number one thing I talk in, in all my, my client meetings and even with my friends, it's, hey, how are you doing? How are you really doing? How's your mental health? And we just have all these conversations about how, you know, most people aren't doing okay. You know, we're getting by, but there's just so much fatigue and frustration and sometimes bitterness. And I think being able to talk about it and then reframe it to say, okay, a lot of things we can't control, but what can we control? What are the factors that we can take ownership over? What are the support networks around us? What are the resources we have available we can talk, tap into? And all of these things helps to propel and empower people to move forward. And you know, I've, I've seen so many people and families able to take strides forward and our own family is an example of that. And so I think it's, it's great to be able to have these conversations and to really normalize, you know, how do we tackle mental health and help each other? And so I think it's such a cool conversation we're having today and something that's so important. So thank you for, <laughs> for, for hosting these because I think it's super cool what you're doing. Thank you for saying that. And I wanted to go on your point about just normalizing these situations. It reminds me of how, you know, we grow up thinking you always have to be positive or look on the bright side of things. Why can't you think of it in a positive way? But when we talk about reframing situations, it's also okay to reframe it in a neutral way. It doesn't always have to be positive because reality is we're always going to have moments that are crappy and not so great, but also moments that are so-so and good moments. And being able to reframe them in a more neutral way can be powerful to see it differently, even if it might not be positive. Something I also wanted to ask you is what kind of advice or what can someone do if they're feeling that moment of they don't want to get out of bed, today's a really hard day, they don't want to do any work. Mm -hmm. If you had a day like that, what would you do to change it up or to feel better? Mm. Man, that's such a great question. It hits home because <laughs> the reality is I have those days all the time, you know, where I'll wake up and then I'll just lie in bed thinking, man, I really don't want to get up. I just want to stay here. Or there will be moments where I hit a slump in the afternoon and I just ask myself like, oh man, like, oh, I just, I just don't want to think anymore. And I think a few things have really helped. One is a regular routine, a healthy routine. You know, whether it's waking up, knowing you're gonna make breakfast, or knowing that, okay, I have my scheduled exercise times, I have these meetings with my clients, meetings with friends, and even scheduling rest. 
So in my calendar, um, you'll see like I have rest time, family time, and I've blocked it out from my calendar. And so one of the things that uh, my mentor challenged me on, and I'll challenge anybody, is to ask yourself, how do you guard your time? And I love that kind of imagery because if you're not guarding your time, then someone else is going to take it. Whether it's, you know, just the one-off messages, checking your email all the time, or just something happens and you realize, hey, my day just flew away. Did I really do what I wanted to do? Did I feel like I had an impactful day? And so, you know, those are more like the productivity side of things to, to really to be mindful and controlled. And I think sometimes it's also just being aware that, hey, you know, we have energy levels. Or if I wake up on a bad day, then I just make sure in my calendar I have enough buffer where maybe if I do want to take some time off, I'll take it off. And so I'm fortunate that I run my own business, so I'm able to move some things around. Granted, I know a lot of people who are employees or you're on a clock might not be as easy. But even within, just finding little moments where it's like, hey, I'm going to meditate for the next two minutes. Or for me, I say prayers throughout the day. That charges me up. Or even if for lunchtime, I can go for at least 15 minutes and walk around, enjoy the sunshine. Or if it's raining, then, you know, find whatever is helpful to you. For me, I'm an extrovert, so I'll find someone to talk to or call somebody. Um, for those of my introverted friends, you know, they'll kind of have a quiet time to themselves, maybe read a book, listen to some music. Whatever ways that you can recharge, that's helpful. And I think the last part is, and, and this is part of GRIT from Angela Duckworth, it's to find the thing that you're passionate about, to find your North Star, you know, I don't want to repeat all these mantras, but you know, Simon Sinek's find your why, um, to find the purpose, driven life, etc. But it really is that at the core of it, it's why are you doing what you're doing? Can you can you connect that to the bigger vision, to the bigger things of life? Can you really identify what are the meaningful things you are doing or to find meaning in what you do? Because a lot of times, you know, I'll wake up in the morning thinking, man, I don't want to do these meetings. Because it's tiring. It, it takes a lot out of me. But then I think, well, no, like I'm excited because that's that's another family I'm able to help out. Or it's like, hey, like I know later this afternoon, you know, I have somebody where I'm able to help their parents with the retirement plan. So great. I know I'm actually going to be doing good and excites me because I'm looking forward to the conversations we're going to be having. And I know that we're going to go for bubble tea. So, you know, I'm a huge <laughs> about boba and all that stuff. So, you know, so it's those little things that, you know, can can keep you focused. So I know that was a lot, but kind of off the top of my head, those were some of the things that have helped me greatly to navigate these murky waters. Those are really great strategies, especially the one about routine. It's a big intervention that's used in therapy is to have some type of routine, whether it's for an addiction or changing a behavior. When you're able to set that routine, it gives you some sense of control and stability in your day-to-day. Even if it might be a routine of having a glass of water in the morning, and that's the end of your routine, it's still something that you have that's consistent throughout your days. So I love that. And I want to go back a little bit about when you talked about how, you know, it's okay not to be okay. That stands out to me because it just acknowledges we have bad days and it's okay to not always have that positive attitude. And for me, I think back to whenever I face my hardships, I always ask myself, I can spend the next week feeling really sorry for myself and victimizing myself or recognizing that today might be a day I need to relax and recuperate and just chill out. And then tomorrow is the day where I 
kind of organize my day, get myself back together and think, what can I do to have that impactful day? I think having that shift of not feeling sorry for yourself all the time or not going into that self-pity mode can be really powerful in changing the way you look at a situation. So it's not about saying, okay, it's going to get better. I'll move past it. That's trying to think of it in a very positive way. But instead, it's saying, today really sucked, but tomorrow I'm going to focus on my energy to recuperate. But today I'm going to relax. And I think that's really important whenever we're dealing with such tough situations. And to me, that's what resilience is about. It's that muscle in your body that you might have strains. It might tear a little bit. You might have a really hard time, but with the support of your friends and you're working towards it on your own and training that muscle, it can really get stronger. And over time, you learn that you deal with situations better because you've been working on that mental health and resilience muscle. That's my little spiel and analogy. I love using the muscle analogy in, I think, every episode I've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And it's funny, I actually use that example a lot in my own sessions with clients where you know, it's something that we're also familiar with, you know, like when you work out, you're building the muscles, but to build a muscle, you have to tear down those muscle fibers. And it's oftentimes a painful process, especially at first, but as you go over time, you know, you get used to it, just like how you get used to exercising where it becomes routine. And so I think part of that is what you talked about was so great um, about how do you make it a habit? So it's an unconscious routine that you can do to fall back on and there's so many healthy ways, so many resources. And I know you've given so many great resources in some of your earlier episodes and future episodes to come. And so I think for any of the viewers out there or listeners out there, just know that there's so much great resources out there. But one thing I can share it's is to, yes, allow yourself a moment to feel these emotions, to acknowledge what you're going through and to take you know the time that you need to process or to find the people or the resources that can help you. But set a, set a deadline for it. You know, like, let's say I'm having a bad day, you know, I'm sure I'm going to, you know, acknowledge it, I'm going to go through it, but I'm not going to carry it for me tomorrow. Or let's say, for example, I'm grieving over something and I grieve for a lot of things in the past, whether it's failed relationships or loss of loved ones. And, you know, let's say after a week, I said, you know, hey, I can continue this, but I'm going to put a stop to this. It doesn't mean I'm stopping what I'm feeling because I'm still hurt. I'm still feeling loss, but it's saying, no, now is the time to to pick up the healthy habits, to really sort through this and to go forward. So I'm still going forward, but I'm carrying those burdens. And for me, you know, with my Christian faith, I give it to God. So there's one way for me to unload that stuff. And then through that transport of, or sort of that transformation I've gotten over the years, yeah, like those muscles have built it to the point where I think people say, wow, like you're able to handle so much and have that capacity. And honestly, I say, it's not me. <laughs> like it took a village our entire <laughs> community to help me get to the point where I'm at. And then now I look to say, hey, how do I help carry the burdens of others? How do I help going forward to lift my brothers and sisters up that are we're in those situations that we're in? And I think that's the beautiful example where, you know, as you flexing that muscles, great. Now you're able to help spot other people, you know. I love Speaking that. gym language, right? Or even to just <laughs> encourage people to hit the gym, right? If we're using that as an analogy. And then it'll start going around. It's true. And there are so many great benefits of working out <laughs> to continue with the analogy <laughs> oh, definitely, <laughs> and to support 
others and giving them that foundation. I get that question too, where people ask, so how do you handle so much? Or, you know, you've been through this and that, how do you still do it? And it's the same for you. I give myself that space to allow to feel bad or to have down days. And then I ask myself, how can I take a step forward? What can I do to make my day impactful? And it doesn't always have to be big strides. I didn't get to where I am today. And I'm sure you didn't get to where you are today overnight. It probably took years and lots of bad days and lots of great days too, to really get to where you are. And that doesn't mean you're always going to be strong after a tough situation. It just means that you're able to deal with it and cope with it better. And I guess that's the beauty of mental health where you can't really see it, but it's something that's always going to be with you. Even with finance, people, the way they think, their psychology, their emotions will affect their financial decisions. It's mm-hmm. going to affect how you act at work or what kind of messages you send to your friends. Your mental health is such a big part of you that you don't realize. You have so many checkups for your teeth or for your physical health, but how often do people check in with their mental health? That's mm-hmm. a question I like to have people think about a lot. Mm-hmm. And for you, Enoch, uh, what do you do to check in with your mental health? Yeah, that's, that is another great question. You're giving some zeners. I love this. Yeah, thank you. Um, honestly, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like there are some things that I feel I'm doing well. But honestly, this is just a long journey that I'm on. And I'm always looking at different ways to be able to kind of not only check in, but to improve upon my mental health. Uh, so a few ways I would check in is, is to look at or to, to have that self-awareness to be like, hey, how am I doing right now? How am I really doing? A lot of it is, you know, talking to people where they'll notice things going like, hey, like, you know, I've noticed, you know, your energy levels aren't the same or you're not laughing as much or, you know, you look tired. Are you okay? And so those are kind of signs to say, okay, wow, people are noticing it. I got to follow up on this. Or when I notice my body is low energy saying like, hey, like I got up later today or man, I'm staying up later. Um, What are some of those signs? And so then I'll look at like, is my diet better? Have I been exercising? And it's like, nope, I haven't been exercising. (laughs) I went to McDonald's (laughs) to get the Pokemon cards. Okay. So, you know, all these things go one by one. And so then taking that time. So then I set aside time to be like, okay, I'm going to do a refresh. You know, so for example, when I leave my team, we do quarterly check-ins, annual check-ins, monthly check-ins, you know, we do our strategy sessions, we do all these things to, to, to gauge and to look into realigning the parties of the business and to see if things are going okay. But to take that analogy, why don't we do it for our own lives? You know, what's the big goal for you in your life? You know, what are the things that are important to you? Have you dropped the balls on that? Whether it's your family, your relationships, your friends, your hobbies, you know, how are you doing with all these things? And so I actually take a lot of those business methodologies and frameworks and I apply them to my life to say, hey, like, you know, what's the ROI or the return on my investment when I put my time towards these hobbies or stuff? Or some of them are just like, you know what? Like to lounge around, watch some anime, that's a good day. Or maybe I'll say, hey, maybe I'll go pick up a basketball and go bounce the ball around with my siblings. You know, that's a good day. And then it's to find those things that you can really value. And I think... For me, my check-in is to make sure I have a good balance across the board. So there's the whole image of the wellness wheel where, you know, I'm sure you've seen it before where you pick a circle and you have the different facets of your life. You know, the financial side of things, the business side, your personal side, the fitness side, spiritual side, uh, mental health side of things. And to see 
when you check off those boxes, say, hey, out of one to 10, like, am I scoring high on all of them or are there moments where I feel very low? And then that gives me a way to visually check to say, hey, am I in misalignment? And if I am, then I'll then take steps forward to, to get it so that it is balanced again. That's a really great strategy to keep in mind. And it touches back on my other episode about self-care, self-compassion, and self-love. You're looking mm -hmm. at, you're taking an inventory of all the different yes. areas of your life. And it might sound common sense where you're asking yourself how you're doing, but that just brings me back to the question. When was the last time you really had that inventory, that check-in of your mental health? Mm -hmm. And to take it a step further, for people who might be interested in doing this type of inventory, I would encourage you to even write it down because when you have to put your thoughts onto a piece of paper or a note, it becomes a lot more real. You're more mindful about what you're thinking rather than using it as a fleeting moment to brainstorm about this and saying, oh, I'm doing okay, it's fine. But to really take that time, it could be five or 10 minutes to sit down and really do that inventory. You'd be surprised to see what the results or what the answers might be. And that's a really great way to do a bit of a mental health check-in, Enoch. Before we end today, uh, how can our listeners find you online or how can they support you? Thank you for that. Um, yeah, they can check out our website, riseaboutfinance.com or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We have our respective professional pages. Um, if people want to reach out to me, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Enoch Wayne is there. They can send me an email. Um, but yeah, I think if anybody is ever going through hardships and they just need somebody to talk to and they don't know, they can always reach out to me. And I always have time to talk to people that are going through similar situations because of of how how much I can resonate with that. And I know you can feel alone and stuff, but I would encourage you or the people that are listening, if you are going through a tough time or if you ever get to that point, um, please reach out to people. Please find the help that you need. And there are people that love you and support you. And, you know, and my hope and prayer <laughs> is that you really just feel loved and encouraged uh, to be able to embark on your own mental health journey to find the rest and healing you need. So, yeah, so that's that's it for me. Yeah, don't want to make too many plugs to myself. So I think <laughs> <laughs> no problems there. And to give a bit more context, even I think I met Enoch once at a party. I can't even say for certain, but I know I met <laughs> you like one time. And yeah. I've, I feel like I'm really connected with you because of the Facebook posts that you and your family share. And I'm not telling everyone, you know, you have to publicly share about your situation. <laughs> But what made you so approachable was your work to normalize mental health and your work to normalize that people have bad days and that's okay. It's okay not to be okay. So when I reached out to Enoch, he was so excited and so open to talking about his story and his situation. And I hope that for anyone who's listening today, they might feel inspired that there, everyone is human. Everyone has a whole spectrum of feelings and you are not alone. Enoch mm -hmm. is here. If you want to talk to him, you can reach out to me to talk, or I might be able to send you resources that could be helpful or more related to you. So mm -hmm. yeah, no yeah, one is alone. <laughs> exactly. And one quick point on this, it's if we didn't stress this, seeking professional help is so important. So for example, you know, 
like Shervin and I are here to talk to you and to help you, but there's moments where we can't. We're not medically trained. We're not clinical psychologists. And I think, just to tell you for transparently, they're very helpful at times. Sometimes you might not feel they're helpful, but when I look back, you know, it was those, those interactions and learning different things about how I can really improve my mental health that I still carry forward to me today. So if you've ever been on the fence of, you know, saying, hey, should I contact the counselor? Should I seek help? Do it. Do it and you won't regret it. Um, yeah, so for example, in, in my business, we do a lot of financial counseling and coaching as part of what we do because we realize that when people do business or try to look at their finances, there's a lot of emotions tied to it. And no longer is it transactional, but it's all about relationships. And I think when you have the holistic model, you can apply it anywhere, whether it's in finance, whether it's in sports, whether it's in you name it, <laughs> it's everywhere. And so Sherman, I loved how you said that, you know, mental health is so integrated on in, in all parts of us because it is, it's one of the cores, um, the core things that we have. So I think that's kind of my little spiel there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm just so excited for this. Like this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. And the bit about therapy, it's also a way to get a different perspective. It's not like, let's go back to my example of about physical health, where mm -hmm. why wait until you have a cavity to go to the dentist to get it fixed when you yes. can do regular cleanups. And that's mm -hmm. the exact same thing with therapy. It's about getting a new perspective, new insights, and having that maintenance, that check-in instead of waiting for when you've hit rock bottom or things are really hard to change. Mm -hmm. Thank you for mentioning that piece about considering seeking out professional help or someone who is trained to support you. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me in today's episode, Enoch. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure and an honor. And I'm so encouraged and inspired by what you're doing. So please keep it up. Thank you. And for any listeners who are visual learners or would like some more resources, I wrote a blog post on this topic and I'll also include a link to Angela Duckworth's TED Talk on Grit. That was a great resource that Enoch mentioned earlier. I invite you to read it on shervin.ca and to follow my Twitter at hellosherven for updates. See you next time. Bye.